evening, film fans. How goes it? Welcome into the Second Day Film Podcast, the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. It is Sunday, July 12th, 2020. I'm your host, Brandon Champion, cooling with the homies as we wrap up another beautiful weekend here in West Michigan. Yesterday was a day, man. <clears throat> Had some friends over for some pizza, some, some slip and slide action, a bonfire. Mr. Mike Nichols was there. Uh, are you as sore as I am, buddy? Uh, no, because I uh, use slip and slides like a baseball player. And uh, thoughts and prayers, everyone, to Brandon Champion's ribs, because he's still complaining about how he's sure he's bruised them. Oh, my ribs are done for, buddy. They are. They are. I think I might be puncturing along with every breath that I speak on this podcast. I'm getting closer and closer to it. Yeah, I, I too played baseball, and I was uh, a head first slider. Um, that lasted about one time before I realized that was a bad idea. <laughs> and yet, and yet, you've kept this. You've kept this form for slip and slides. Why? Why yeah. not just go? Why not go leg? Why? Why go? It's, why go face? It's called a full send, Mike. A full send. <laughs> I do everything 100%. So, uh, Evan Dean is also... Whining about your ribs for two days. Well, yeah. I I wouldn't wish this pain on anyone. Evan Dean is also here. I know you did some golfing this weekend. Did you keep it under 100? Uh, Yeah, I I did shoot under 100. I actually uh, shot an 87, but it was an executive course. Uh, It was an executive course. So, um, you know, (laughs) on a real course, it would have been over 100. Or close to it. Um, but no, guys, uh, it was funny. I, I decided to wear a brand new Detroit Lions polo that my mom had got me for b- my birthday. And uh, as I posted on Facebook, I said, for me, golfing is a lot like being a Lions fan. Just have incredibly low expectations and have a stash of beer on hand for if, usually when, things go south. And I had the beer and I had a good time. Wonderful. I, too, played golf this weekend and uh, also kept it under 100. Played a little scramble, uh, a little six-man scramble, so that was a good time. Uh, So it sounds like it was a successful weekend from the trio uh, of your podcast hosts here on the Second Day Film Podcast. Uh, Coming up on today's show, it's been a minute since we've had one. I I, uh, listened the other day, I think, like, uh, early June. So um, we're going to be reviewing several films we've all been watching. Theaters, unfortunately, remain closed. Uh, due to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. Uh, But there has been several new flicks come out on streaming, Uh, most notably Netflix. We got a new uh, Spike Lee joint to discuss. Uh, Please join the conversation on social media by liking the Second Day Film Podcast on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Second Day Film, on Instagram at the Second Day Film Podcast. Leave a rating and a review if you could. We would very much appreciate it. Uh, Our old episodes are found on SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, If you want to hear some of uh, our old stuff that we've been putting out over the course of the last uh, couple of years now, this podcast, we're we're getting to be old men, kind of like my body uh, (laughs) here on the the interwebs of the Internet. Um, But uh, anything else you guys want to you want to touch on before you want to get to it? I'm ready to rock. All right, sounds good. Jumping into our first film, and it's uh, sort of a film, I guess. Uh, it was released on Disney Plus on July 7th, and it's Hamilton, uh, directed and produced by Thomas Kale and uh, produced, written, and composed by Lin-Well, Manuel Miranda. Um, of course, this film is based on the Broadway show, the hit Broadway show, The Phenomenon Hamilton. 
uh, the real life of one of America's foremost founding fathers and first secretary of the treasury, Alexander Hamilton, captured live on Broadway from Richard Rogers Theater with the original Broadway cast. As I mentioned, this just came out on July 3rd, and it is a filmed version of the play. Uh, Mike and I both saw this, I believe, and uh, Evan, I'm sure it's on your list, but uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda stars in the central role, uh, role here. Uh, a lot of other actors and actresses as well. Um, so, Mike, I'll toss it to you to start. Um, first of all, tell me if you've actually seen the real Hamilton, and after that, tell me uh, what sort of you, what struck you about this. Yeah, so I remember back in the day, I listened to the Hamilton songs, uh, and then I saw a, um, a bootleg like version that someone had filmed on their phone of it, and I was like, okay, it was pretty good. And man, like when this came out, uh, what, first of all, what great timing to bring this out during like during the pandemic when everyone's in their homes to bring it out for the Fourth of July. Like it was just a genius idea. And uh, yeah, honestly, like I I'm not super into musicals. I'm not really big into hip hop, but I've watched this twice already, and I've been listening to the soundtrack like no nonstop. <laughs> That's a joke song. Sorry, never mind. Yeah, like it's just so it's so good. The choreography, the acting, the music, it's unbelievable. It's easy to see why this lives up to all the hype. Um, it's actually based on the 2004 biography, Alexander Hamilton by Rod Chernow. And I'm reading that book right now. Um, I'm about halfway through. I'm at the part where uh, we get to basically the Reynolds um, uh, pamphlet or whatever it was called. And uh, I can't believe how much history this actually does pack into the show. Like if you've read the book um, and if you know Alexander Hamilton, there's a lot of like little references that are from the book that are just kind of squeezed into little like lyrics or in the way the choreography is done. It's actually a really good um, interpretation of the history as a hip hop musical. Like it's mm -hmm. really, really smart. Um, and the, and the portrayal of these characters like the way they're doing it through that lens and through the hamilton lens it's actually pretty spot on like I, i'm very impressed um with not only uh how great and catchy the music is but also how pretty accurate it is to capturing like who and what these people are all about it was a great great show yeah i think it's a great alternative for people who can't afford to pay uh to see it in person since uh, i mean tickets for that thing are ridiculously expensive they're hard to get um, I don't know if the translation to the screen is perfect. That being said, I think uh, Thomas Kale, uh, the guy who directed this, he does some really interesting things with angles and sort of moving the camera throughout the stage and sort of interweaving between the actors and the setting that really, I think it really helps sort of put us in the scene and it results in sort of an intensity and ferocity that I think works pretty damn well um, when you're talking about a, a filmed version of something that's happening live on a stage. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's the next best thing besides actually being in the audience, I would say. Um, so uh, I think that it's really fun to watch. It's, you really do have to be paying attention and listening to the lyrics, um, especially if you don't have a huge grasp of Alexander Hamilton's life and what, actually happen with them because they're explaining the story through song in these hip hop, R and B jazz, uh, bluesy sort of style. Um, so you really want to be sharp, maybe even watch it with the, the captions on. It might help. Yeah, you. Um, definitely watch it with the subtitles on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Evan, I know you haven't seen this and I, as far as I know, you haven't seen Hamilton either, but, uh, is this something you want to check out? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, I like everybody know how how massive the Broadway show, uh, you know, the impact it's had on on a society and culture. You know, working in the news biz, um, I remember I think it came to Grand Rapids at one point, and you know, whenever it, whenever the show travels from town to town, it gets such publicity because it's such a. I mean, the the show itself is such a um, well regarded show. Um, I was curious about one thing. Um, I've watched, um, uh, you know, they've, they've started to do like Fox, NBC have started to take on um, live broadcasts of certain Broadway shows like Grease was live a few years ago. The Wiz was live uh, maybe a year before that. Um, and that was really cool because it was actually live as it was happening. I'd wonder but this one if it was all one take or if they went in and took longer to film it. Do you guys have that answer? They it said it was shoot. filmed live yeah, on the, uh, yeah. I mean, at the start, it said it was filmed live at the, uh, at the theater in New York in like 2016. Well, they, okay. they did film multiple shows though. So, I mean, you can see where they cut where, you know, one performance, like a hand is located on the hip and then like a second layer, the hands off it. It's cause they, they filmed like multiple uh, shows for it. Um, so that's okay. when they actually filmed without an audience at all, just so they can yeah, do close ups and stuff. Um, well, cause that's what I really loved about love about watching these live Broadway shows when they've been brought to TV is cause you know, it's live and the stakes are almost higher. It kind of makes you feel like you're actually at a show when someone makes a mistake <laughs> or stumbles, you know, you have to roll with it. And that's the cool thing about Broadway. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I need to see this. There's a lot of things that are only on Disney Plus that, you know, have had my wife and I wondering, should we just give in and add an yet another streaming service to our Roku? Yes, you should. Um, <laughs> thematically, I, I love what Hamilton is is trying to do. I mean, I think they're Lin-Manuel Miranda has said at times, you know, the tagline that it's the story of America then told by America today. And there's there's very clear parallels to, you know, things that are going on and supposed to be a representation of history, but can also be translated to, you know, today's world. It's not hard to, to sort of see how, you know, America, you know, as 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 different as we are from, you know, the 1770s, um, there's still certain things that are the same or sort of the core of America is sort of the same. And I think, you know, this this show. And I always wondered this before I had seen this, like why Alexander Hamilton? Why, why this guy? And because, you know, it seems like, yeah, he's the first secretary of the treasury, but when you watch this, you learn about why, because there's this idea of, and it, and it ends with uh, at the end with his wife that wants to keep his legacy alive. You know, the importance of telling someone's story, the importance of keeping someone's legacy alive, of telling their stories and their contributions and like I said, I think Hamilton was always a curious choice. But after watching this, you realize why, because he had a very profound and direct influence on basically America's first three presidents and also, you know, had his quarrels with James Madison, the fourth president. So you see this guy, Alexander Hamilton, was a prominent figure, but he's he's sort of on the fringes and sort of impacting things that are happening in the early days of America. So I think telling his story is also a way to tell the stories of a lot of other founding fathers. Um, and I, and I just find that really interesting. Yeah. I mean, he was definitely someone who had a huge impact, uh, in his own life and continues to today. But, um, yeah, they definitely did a great job with like bringing 
um, diverse voices in, you know, having a very mixed uh, race cast, like playing these characters. Uh, it's a very, very smart move to show you that, look, even though people in history may not have looked the way you do now, human nature doesn't change and their stories are very relatable to your stories. And that's why we learn them so that we can take what their stories teach us and live those lessons out today. Uh, Lin-Manuel Brown is a genius. Like what he did with this is just absolutely incredible. And it's, it's really like patriotic in a sweet way. Like it's giving American hope about where we came from obviously isn't perfect, but the values that we had when we like made these plans, fought these wars and built these like, you know, national institutions, we can carry those values through even today and still try to live up to them. Uh, I, it's a great, it's a great musical. Oh, the writing, Manuel, Manuel Miranda's writing in this. I mean, it, it's like a three hour long rap battle with aspects yeah. of yeah, R&B, basically. blues and jazz. It's, it is like a historical spectacle. That's what I keep watching. It's like just the meshing of historical imagery with modern music is a, a really interesting, you know, juxtaposition and meshing of the two time periods. For me, uh, King George, played by Jonathan Groff. Legend. He absolutely absolute legend. stole the show, man. That guy, every time he was on stage, just had me dying on the floor. It's like this whiny representation of King George and how he's basically acting like a big disgruntled like ex-boyfriend who's like hurt when his feeling whose feelings get hurt when america breaks up with britain and he's just like fine but you won't be able to do it on your own anyways like it's it is he cracked me up every single time he was on screen so to all to all of our listeners if if you get the the bug of the, of the revolutionary war from this if you want to learn more about the founding fathers in that time period you can check out john adams is an amazing miniseries i think that's on hbo go and you can also check out Turn, Washington Spies on Netflix. Those are two really, really great uh, Revolutionary War time period shows. And you, you'll see John Adams. You'll meet Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, Hamilton, uh, Lafayette. You'll meet them and all those things. So go check those out if you're if you're interested in more. I just added John Adams to the queue, Mike. So that's I'm so glad good. you brought that up. <laughs> so it's good. in the list. Yeah, I'm. I'm ex- I remember wanting to watch it. I think I'm, my mom bought it when she had it, but uh, I'm excited to watch it. But obviously Hamilton. Um, if you can see it in person, do it. I think it would probably be, you know, incredible. Um, you know, and then the, the, that's the only thing I'm going to dock it for, you know, just because I, I feel like it can't be as good as it is live in person. But like I said, this is a good alternative, um, a much cheaper alternative, uh, to say the least. Um, but it, it's it's definitely something worth seeing, even if like like you, Mike, I'm not a big musical guy, but uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this maybe because it had such the, the big rich history. The Revolutionary War is a time period I'm very interested in. Um, so so definitely worth checking out. Uh, what kind of letter grade would you give it? It lives up to the legend and the hype. A plus. All right. Yeah, I gave it a seven point five out of ten. Like I said, I'm going to dock it a little bit because. It's not even its own fault. I just, I can't, I'm imagining that I would give the actual Broadway show a nine out of 10. So, you know, and for it being a little bit hard to follow at times and just not being as good all uh, as the live thing, I had to dock it a little bit. One another interesting note is this won't be eligible for any Oscars uh, this year since it's just a live recording. I saw a story about that. So um, you won't see this come Oscar time because it's, it's not really a traditional movie, uh, so to speak. Um, so that's a little bit disappointing, but I can see why they had to make that call. Um, so check out Hamilton. It's on Disney plus definitely worth the hype. 
moving on to a to a different type of history uh, from Hamilton, uh, and also a, a more music, a, definitely a musical on the same level and pedigree of Hamilton. It's called Eurovision Song Contest: The Story of Fire Saga. Uh, this movie is directed by David Domkin and written by Will Ferrell and Andrew Steele. Uh, the plot summary in IMDb. When aspiring musicians Lars and Sigrid are given the opportunity to represent their country at the world's biggest song competition, they finally have a chance to prove that any dream worth having is a dream worth fighting for. <laughs> I'm already cracking up. Uh, <laughs> Will, Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams star as Lars and Sigrid. Uh, we also have Dan Stevens, Pierce Brosnan, um, and some other uh, uh, Icelandic and European actors. Uh, Demi Lovato also in this, uh, playing an Icelandic person. That's quite the juxtaposition. Uh, but Evan, uh, I'll toss it to you. I know your, um, you know your your track record in history of not having a great tolerance for movies like this is well known. I know you're going to yell at me for saying that, but uh, what what are some of your initial thoughts on Eurovision? Well, first off, um, if it's going to be a dumb comedy, it just has to be done really well. And there are some, like Zoolander, for example, that I've really enjoyed. Um, but yeah, you know right out the gate with this, you're going to get a dumb comedy. When we have, you know, five minutes in, we're getting like a sweeping drone shot of Rachel McAdams and Will Ferrell in Viking gear with keyboards. Oh, and like a- <laughs> <laughs> Next to, you know, in this sweeping landscape, you know, it's going to be going to be ridiculous. Um, look, I think um, there were definitely times when I laughed, but when you're going to pepper us with hundreds of one liners throughout the uh, two hour runtime, which was too long, there's going to be some that hit. But for the most part, a lot of the jokes for me just didn't hit. Um, I was really kind of actually annoyed by the accents that seemed really bad. Um, you know, you've got a lot of really well-known American actors who decide to have, you know, who, who decide to play as uh, Icelandic characters. And, you know, we have to hang in there with, with these terrible accents the entire time. Um, it was just really, really dumb. And, you know, look, I, I didn't even know much about Eurovision um, before the movie. I was actually Googling while I was watching this movie, you know, in which I then realized, okay, this is a real thing. It's hugely popular in Europe. It's been popular for decades. Um, so as I was watching, I kind of had gathered, okay, there's obviously some sort of parody here, some sort of fun being poked at that competition, but having no baseline or background knowledge of that competition um, I don't think that hit for me. And so what I was left with was just a really dumb Will Ferrell movie, which we've seen a lot of these before. So, Mike, what'd you think? I never laughed once. And I actually had to take <laughs> breaks in watching it because I was getting so bored and annoyed. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what the point of that. Like, what what is the joke of the movie? Is it that Euro? Oh, look how cheesy and silly Eurovision! Is it just making fun of like these European singers and their music style, or is the joke that Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams' characters aren't good because they they are good, but they just have these weird scripts that aren't realistic or like character? They're just kind of stupid. It, it's like this is just not. It was a. It was yes. No real conflict. I mean, it- 
I, I agree. I think that it was a, a good way to describe it. It was kind of a pointless movie. I mean, really, well, uh, what was the theme? What were the takeaways? What were you left with? I mean, I champ, it sounds like you liked it more than we did. Well, yeah, I think I did, but I'll just address the what is the point. I mean, Will Ferrell, like, just think about back on his, you know, the movies he's made. Think about when he went on that run with, like, sports parody movies with, like, Blades of Glory and Talladega Nights and and uh, Semi-Pro, where he's sort of making fun of something, but at the same time, he's sort of, like, tributing it in a weird way. It's like this mixed, <laughs> blurred line between, like, he's making fun of it, but at the same time, he's drawing attention to it to where it's funny. Um I, I agree this movie was lacking in uh, laugh-out-loud moments. It wasn't as funny as it needed to be for a movie that is a comedy, that isn't really offering much else other than comedy. Um, but mm-hmm. but there, was times that, there was things I laughed about. You know, I thought when the whales jumped up <laughs> just randomly, or uh, I, I liked yeah. when, when I like me and Mike were talking about this last night, but I liked when the elf just randomly showed up and killed the guy and ran back in the house. I thought that was harmless Icelandic humor. You know, Mike, I know you didn't like it, but, uh, you know. And, and, it made no sense to the plot. It was so just randomly in there for well, plot they, movement. They teased it. They, it had nothing to do with anything. But they teased it. They did tease it at the very beginning, you know, where she's in front of the houses and wishing the elves would help her out. And I thought there was some funny lines where people keep saying, oh, your brother and sister. And Will Ferrell just keeps saying, probably not. Like, because he doesn't know if someone in his family, if maybe they actually are sisters, because his dad is apparently, like, played by Pierce Brosnan, is apparently, like, the player of the the neighborhood. Um, I thought thought Dan Stevens was the best character in the movie, playing the the Russian guy, you know, with this ridiculous flamboyant accent. I thought he was pretty hilarious, made me laugh. Um, You know, I, I, I thought it... It wasn't a good movie, and I don't want to be the person here that's over here trying to defend Eurovision like it's a good movie. But I think for what it was, a stupid, harmless little comedy, um, I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, look, I I think that the best comedies are kind of the, a lot of the times for me are kind of the real world, you know, set in real life, the big sick, you know, films that um, you get humor just out of, organic real conversation this was the opposite of that it was it felt to me like it was just a vehicle to try to deliver as many jokes as possible and just stack one liner upon one liner and joke upon joke and like i said yeah there's a few times when you laugh here and there but for the most part it didn't stick and it gives you the feeling with with a lot of will ferrell movies that he's just trying too hard to make (laughs) you laugh and and that's kind of the obnoxious nature of Will Ferrell. But um, there's been some really good comedies, um, you know, in the past decade or so. Um, and that just didn't feel like they had to try so hard. And this one, it just, yeah, I, it just yeah. wasn't, it wasn't a good movie to me. Well, yeah, the, you're right that the best comedy should seem natural and flowing and sort of, you know, offhand and just flow naturally. Um, I, the music, though, I mean, I, I, I found the music to be... Uh, catchy and entertaining you know the songs i think were well composed obviously they're being written to be ridiculous like they're not supposed to be serious songs um but i thought the music was fine i kind of you know I, it was a fun watch when they're going when they're in the mansion at the party and they go on you know it's a pretty cool set piece when everyone's just 
joining in and singing segments of songs. And, you know, I thought, I thought it was catching to the eye and uh, interesting to the ear. I wasn't like, Oh my God, these songs are so terrible and stupid that I can't even listen to them. Um, so, and for being a musical film, I thought that one thing it actually at least landed was the music. Um, but maybe you guys don't feel the same. Mike, you, you seem like you hated everything about this movie. Uh, I thought that the, the particular, the singing by Rachel McAdams, as well as, uh, her voice, um, double who, oh man, I'm, I'm not going to get the name right. I believe it was, uh, Molly something. I yeah. She know. had a singer singing with her. So she was, at, she was cause I was curious well, if she was actually singing. Yeah. That was beautiful. Who like the way they mixed their voice, like that was actually really pretty. The the music. And I thought Rachel McAdams actually did carry most of the movie, which is weird because you know, Will Ferrell is a hilarious actor and he's a Mark Twain winner, and I'm like, I'm watching Rachel McAdams carry his ass through this movie. Uh yeah. yeah. I just uh I hope now this opens the door for Rachel McAdams to get some like some awesome comedies because she was great in Mean Girls. Let's not forget, she's a funny actor. And uh did you ever see Game Night with Jason Bateman? Came out a couple years ago. I thought that she was pretty funny in that. I think we reviewed that on the pod, Evan, if I remember correctly. Yeah, we did. We uh -huh. did. Yeah, that was um, that was yeah, that was good. I, I I will say real quick, Champ. Um, I I did some research, and that that uh, mansion scene it featured like I think like ten of the the last ten Eurovision winners, uh, oh, nice. including including the uh, the 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 um character with the beard and the long hair uh, that that character actually won eurovision so some of those characters that seemed random they were actually from the show uh, oh, nice. so i may i wonder if 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 being if watching eurovision and being a fan of it would have given me a greater appreciation but uh, like i said not having that baseline knowledge um a lot of the references missed the mark for me also yeah, graham true. norton I mean, does have a graham norton has a charming cameo in it i'll, I'll say that <laughs> yeah, I mean, if the movie's literally a parody, I mean, imagine watching like Talladega, Talladega Nights and never having seen, you know, NASCAR or not being familiar mm -hmm. with NASCAR racing. It probably wouldn't, you know, hit as well, you know, when he's got the hot wife who's just like, I'm just with you because you have a lot of promotions. Like that, maybe those jokes wouldn't hit as hard. So, yeah, obviously, being American, we're not as familiar. One other thing from a plot standpoint that I just found completely stupid was that the whole movie basically you know, at least one of the big plot points is that, you know, Rachel McAdams loves Will Ferrell and she wants to get out of the friend zone and wants to be together. And she's praying to the elves to make this happen. Are you trying to tell me that a guy like freaking Lars wouldn't want the only smoke show in this small ass loser dying town? <laughs> like when you're going to try and freaking base an entire plot point on that, you have to make Rachel McAdams more ugly or make her more weird or make her more, more homely. <laughs> yeah, undesirable because there's no way Lars. Yeah. yeah. Like there's just no chance. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, can we try to find a way to make Rachel McAdams unattractive? It's like, no, you, you honestly <laughs> yeah. cannot. Uh, then I'm yeah. trying to do there. But, you know. but then make her weird. Make her like early season Boy Meets World Topanga. You know, make her like this crazy person that might have some flaws where she she wouldn't be desirable but I, I agree she she was the best I mean her and Dan Stevens I thought that it was interesting that you know Dan Stevens the Russian guy he wasn't like a completely awful person I mean I hate cartoony villains I hate villains that are just bad for no reason and the idea that Seagret you know 
wouldn't be interested in spending time with a complete jackass or wouldn't because if he's a complete idiot, then why would she give him the time of day if she's supposed to be a good person? I hate when they do that. Um, so I, I liked that he, you know, when we find out that he's gay at the end and that's why he, you know, can't go back to Russia or whatever. Um, I just thought he was funny. I, I, I you say McAdams stole the show. I, I think my favorite was Dan Stevens, uh, but it's pretty bad when we all agree that Will Ferrell was the weak point of the movie in his own movie. <laughs> Yeah, I, yep. ultimately, um, I ended up giving this a four and a half, four point five out of ten. How about you guys? C minus. Okay, I'm at five point five out of ten. I think it's pretty clear that I was at least um, able to get you know appreciate it in a harmless, stupid way. I think you know I was in the mo- the mood when I was watching this. I was feeling a little bit down. I was bogged down with work, and I popped this in you know after a long day, and I it just kind of. It was just kind of some easy watching. It's when, uh, you know, a bunch of news was breaking on Twitter that college football season might not happen. And I was all depressed and sad. So I popped this on and it it, it kind of raised my spirits a little bit just because it was simple and stupid and easy. And I could, could just kind of watch it and take my, my mind off things. And I think on that level, it, it works fine. But obviously not going to be winning any awards uh, anytime soon. So that's Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. Title rolls right off the tongue, really. You, you, you can't get an easier <laughs> title than that. Uh, so uh, check it out if you're into comedy, I'd say. All right. Moving on to another uh, Netflix offering uh, is we're going to shift to TV here for a little bit. This is something that we were all very excited to see. Um, and it's Space Force. It is the uh, new show starring Steve Carell, um, that just premiered on Netflix. The people tasked with creating a sixth branch of the armed forces, the Space Force. Um, of course, uh, this is a real thing now, thanks to President Donald Trump, the Space Force. Um, but uh, Mike, <laughs> Mike is the only one who uh, endured this uh, all the way through. <laughs> so, um, Mike, um, what Space Force? Uh, Space Force is an American comedy web television series created by Greg Daniels and Steve Carell, centered on a group of people tasked with establishing the sixth branch of the United States Armed Forces, the Space Force. Yeah, I said that already. The series stars Steven, <laughs> Steve Carell, John Malkovich, Ben Schwartz, Diana Silvers, Lisa Kudrow, and Tawny Newsome. Oh, great cast. Is, uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, so space, look, Space Force, when it was first announced, I think we were all just so hungry for it. It's Greg Daniels and Steve Carell teamed up from the office. It's got the cast. I just said, it's an incredible cast. And the concept is about this kind of ridiculous idea that seems like it's going to be a satire of the Trump presidency. And so it's got all these things going in for it just to be comedy gold. And yet it just never really gets lift off it's really not very funny it's it's not really sure what the show is trying to be um whether it's going to be like a workplace kind of comedy similar to the office or it's trying to be like a satire on the political state we're in kind of like veep or if it's trying to you know tell the story of how these are nice people stuck in a dumb sit. Like, you, is it making a political point? What is this show trying to do? You never really feel it. You never really feel like it's trying to make you laugh. You never really feel like it's trying to make you care. You never really feel like it's trying to make you cheer. It's just, 
these people who aren't very good at anything and so silly that it's hard to kind of land and relate to you. And then they're just doing a job that you're not supposed to care about because of how silly and dumb they're being. But then you're supposed to care about it because, well, wait, no, we actually do need it. It just feels very confused about whatever it wants to be. And it's a kind of a huge waste of a very talented staff or a very talented cast. Um, I really hope with season two, they'll finally find a direction because I feel like they're close. I feel like they're really close to tweaking it in such a way that it can really just be a funny, like great show, but they got to get new writing and they got to figure out who these characters are. Like, honestly, I feel like Steve Carell's character's accent and voice changes like four different times throughout the show. Um, the, like the daughter is like a teenager, but she looks like she's in her like mid twenties and she's not like, she's not doing any teenage things. She's it's, the wife is in jail. You never really know why. And it, it just feels like there's no real weight to any of the problems these people are dealing with. It's a very disappointing show that has like little moments that made me laugh or made me chuckle or think, but those moments are very, very far in between. And it was just a big disappointment. The only reason I honestly finished the show was because I knew I had to review it. Otherwise, like I would got bored with it and I wouldn't have watched it all the way through. So Space Force, if you liked it, great. I think there's a lot of potential, but uh, this first season was very disappointing. Hmm. Evan, you yeah, saw I some mean, of it, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> some <laughs> is generous. Um, I, uh, I, I tuned in uh, for honestly about 15 minutes in the first episode and uh, – and I couldn't, I couldn't continue watching it. Um, at that point I'd had the, uh, you know, I'd had the advantage of, of, you know, having Mike already have seen, I think it was seven episodes at that point. And basically it indicated to me and us that, you know, it's not going to get any better. And, you know, kudos to you, Mike, because it's one thing to, to hang in and watch just a bad movie that's an hour and a half, two hours to watch an entire series, you know, for the sake of getting through it is not as easy and it's so disappointing because you guys know me. I've seen The Office three times. I've seen on my second watching of Parks and Rec. Huge uh, Greg Daniels fan. Um, but you know those those shows were both filmed as um, documentaries, um, and I didn't see anything like that with Space Force. I wonder if maybe they would have tried The Office or the Parks and Rec style. Maybe it would have played a little better. I don't know. What do you think about that, Mike? I mean, same as you, I've honestly seen The Office at least, like, all the way through once a year since it aired. Like, I love that show. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. And I do think that uh, it didn't need to do that format. It doesn't need to do the docu-series format to be good. Um, But, you know, maybe... uh, It's too late to try now. They've already established the Mm -hmm. format, so... um, Yeah. Yeah, I, I think they could do it the way it is, but uh, yeah, it's too late to try now. I don't know. So so I had some extra time today, uh, you know, preparing for the pod, and I was, I, I told you guys before we started recording that I was going to pop on Space Force and at least try and see, like, you know, a couple episodes so I'd have more to contribute here. And I literally clicked on it, and as it was loading, I was like, nah, and hit the X and backed out of it. Because I was just like, I cannot commit to 10 episodes of this if it's not going to be worth it i just it's a personal you know thing for me where my ocd kicks in and if i start something i have to finish it particularly with shows and i'm just like i I can't commit to this right now there's too much other good stuff right now i'm watching too many other shows maybe i'll get to it eventually part of me wonders so space force you would think you know 
with this with this cast, with the creators, with a big budget, with seemingly great subject matter uh, provided by the president of the United States, I wonder if Mike, and this is mostly for you since you've seen it. Do you think they maybe rushed this a little bit because space the space force wasn't really announced? You know, it's it's obviously brand new, um, and it seems like maybe Netflix maybe rushed to get a product out without figuring out which direction they wanted to go because they saw the potential for parody. They saw the potential for comedy and maybe they just rushed to get to this before they had a really solid foundation for what they were trying to do. I think that's possible because honestly, the writing feels rushed. Like the writing does Mm -hmm. not seem like a script that has gone through multiple edits. That's been polished. That's been thought through. Um, you know, they never really give a reason for the wife of why she's in prison. And there's a part of me that wonders if they just couldn't think of an idea good enough. They're like, you know what? We'll just will not address it and make it this like kind of question. So people stay interested, but it didn't keep me interested. It just annoyed me. And, uh, I do feel like the script I was reading, it did feel like, or the script I was w- watching performed did feel like a, like a half thought through script of, okay, these characters will have this personality. And then. You know, then they'll try to start, like, you know, connecting a little bit, but not really. It's like, well, who is this character? The characters don't really have strong personality. They're not really very well written yet. I think, like, maybe a couple edits and polish throughs could have done that. But I kind of go back to the script because everything else looks great. I mean, the actors are great. The set, it's, they have these beautiful sets and places that this is filmed. Um, it looks great, but you're just watching this really weak weak words kind of carry the story through. And uh, I would probably say it could be because of a rush script. So I see there's supposed to be, you know, like characters that are parodies of like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. I mean, how, how overtly political is this show? And is it clear that they're trying to make fun of it or is it, is it maybe more of a balanced approach? I mean, I'm just trying to get a grasp for what this doing. And it sounds like maybe they didn't know what, what they were trying to do either. So yeah. That's a character the- called F Tony, fuck Tony, Scara Peducci. Like what is going on with this show? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, they do have those parodies. And once you can figure out that they're imitating those people, like it makes you kind of smirk. You're like, Oh, that's kind of a funny imitation, but then they don't really do anything with them. They're just kind of there as part of like a scene and they ask questions, but they don't really challenge or push the story forward in any way. Um, you know, there's references to the president, but he's never named. Uh, it's definitely clear that there are political messaging. There's political messaging about like, oh, like, you know, this is really dumb that we're making a space force. And this is like idiotic to try to militarize space and it ruins the science. But then the messaging kind of flips halfway through of like, oh, whoa, the Russians just mess with our spaceship. The Chinese are going to try to mess with us and they're going to be passive aggressive and not letting us on the moon. Whoa, we really do need a space force. I know. Why don't we send them up there and then not have weapons because we don't really want to start a real war, though. It's like, what? what is the me- – like, I don't get what the messaging is they're going for. But because it has this weird, like, half-cocked, like, political punch in it, it makes the story just really weak and therefore not interesting. So they either need to like figure out a clear approach for what story they really want to tell and why it's going to matter to the American public right now, or they should just kind of move on. Hmm. Well, what kind of grade would you give it? Uh, C plus. Because there were moments that there were a couple moments that I did laugh, but it was like still it was just really really hard to watch. 
Hmm. Sounds like a bit of a missed opportunity overall then, which is, which is yeah. disappointing to hear because it, the idea the cast, uh, the creators behind it uh, seemed like there, there was a lot of potential there. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe in subsequent seasons, they can figure it out. It does happen where shows, you know, kind of maybe have a Rocky debut and then they sort of figure out what they're trying to do down the road and, and they can bring it back around. So maybe all hope is not lost yet. Um, but it sounds like a bit of a missed opportunity for space force. All right, moving on to our final title. We're going to uh, touch on here today on the July 12th, 2020 episode of the second day film podcast. It's a spike Lee joint. It's called the five bloods, uh, premiered on Netflix. Um, just this or, uh, last month, I think, uh, June 12th, uh, the plot summary on IMDb. Four African-American vets battle the forces of man and nature when they return to Vietnam, seeking the remains of their fallen squad leader and the gold fortune he helped them hide. Uh, this film stars an imp uh, impressive cast uh, headed by Del Delroy Lindo, Jonathan Majors, Clark Peters, Norm Lewis, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., Melanie Thierry, Paul Walter Hauser, Jasper Pakkanen, and Johnny Wynn. Um, so fun cast here. Uh, this movie was something else, a uh, two hour and 34 minute runtime. Like most of, uh, Spike Lee's movies, they, uh, are quite hefty and, uh, take a bit to watch and they're highly stylized and creative. Uh, this is obviously a timely film. Uh, Evan, I'll ask you first. Um, what are your, sort of your initial thoughts of the five bloods? Um, well, first off, uh, Delroy Lindo, I mean, what a performance. I mean, oh, hell yeah. He just mm -hmm. steals the show. Absolutely incredible performance as a Vietnam veteran with severe PTSD. Um, I thought that he was unbelievable. There were some sequences where um, the camera was positioned as, it, you know, he's on his own, but it's almost positioned as though he's talking to us. And um, it was his, his performance was powerful. Um, yeah, I think this is an important film. Um Obviously, with what's going on right now, it makes it even more timely. But, um, you know, they even acknowledged it. The characters acknowledged it in the dialogue um, uh, during the film. They even bring up Rambo and how um, Hollywood has kind of whitewashed uh, war films. Um, you know, you think back on all the different war films that you've seen um, and how many of them actually have the representation of African-Americans that actually were represented in those wars. Uh, you know, I, you think about glory, which is incredibly old. Uh, I know that at a couple of, um, you know, obviously a couple of main black characters, but um, you know, this was, uh, it, I think it sheds light on the fact that, um, you know, there were African-Americans who fought um, for the U S in the Vietnam war and it was, you know, Vietnam War, you know, there were the soldiers came back from that and really were um, looked down upon. You know, they were criticized. They were called baby killers. And the African-American soldiers had a whole nother a layer to their struggle, because as they're overseas fighting, there's a, a fight back home, a civil rights fight. Um, so they're conflicted because, you know, they're supposed to be fighting, um, you know, for the United States, yet they don't feel like their own country is even uh, providing them with the basic rights that they should have. So 
Uh, I thought it got at some of those issues really, really well. And, um, and, and I thought that, you know, though the characters uh, were great, obviously there's a little bit of um, like a heist, you know, style movie in here because they're trying to find the gold. Um, But I thought that the, you know, the the theme and the message that I mentioned uh, originally, I think that was where it was strong for me. Yeah, put put Delroy Lindo at the top of the uh, leader in the clubhouse board of, you know, best best actor in a leading role for an Oscar right now. I mean, just the the intensity on his face. You know, there's a lot of close ups in this movie. Um, He has so much emotion in his performance where he's in part because of PTSD, where he's flipping between like menacing and paranoid to excited and but at the same time, you know, he's tormented and regretful throughout the whole thing. Just his emotions on his sleeve. Evan, you mentioned the monologue scene when he's sort of going crazy, walking around in the jungle where he's talking to the camera. And he's very clearly speaking. I think we're supposed to mention maybe he's speaking to Norm or he's speaking to yeah. just whoever. Um, but he's very clearly speaking to the audience, talking about how, you know, you can't kill me. I choose when I die. And it ends with he puts his fist in the air. Um, just extremely powerful to watch, especially amid everything going on. And it's almost like Delroy Lindo was speaking to America as he was mm-hmm. going through that. And obviously yeah. he's talking about something completely different. But when you're watching that in the context of 2020, it really adds on a lot of layers to what's going on. Go ahead, Mike. You got thoughts on this? <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, I... Uh... <laughs> Put Sorry, down the vodka, Mike. Put it down. I don't, I don't even have it. I was listening, and then I thought everyone's going to say something back. Uh, well, no, I want to give you a chance to say something. I already rambled yeah. about it. All right, yeah. Uh, yeah, Lindo was amazing, hands down. And, like, this kind of had uh, – when I was just talking about, you know, uh, Space Force and, like, the week script, this movie's had a tight script. This script and the writing for this movie was amazing. You had all these characters who you connect with right away. It puts you into the experience of these Vietnam veterans, particularly the black Vietnam veterans. It it makes you care. It draws tension really well of what could happen, what's going on with the PTSD. It then brings in these other characters who create this incredibly tense like standoff to hunt for the treasure with the minefields. Like It's just a really, really well-written movie, and it's very well-acted. I yeah. actually it's think fun. what... So sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say it's one of the better movies I've ever seen, um, you know, in in sort of displaying what PTSD is and how it affects a person's entire mood. You know, how he just got triggered by the chicken salesman or, you know, when he finds that his friend has a gun, he immediately assumes that he's going to double cross him. I just think that it really did a good job getting us into the head of Delroy Lindo's character and really sort of trying to show us what PTSD is like and how it's not just like this little thing but it takes over your entire psyche but but go ahead mike i didn't mean to interrupt you no you're good um there was actually one part of this film that actually did kind of feel was weak and it shocked me actually but i actually kind of think it was the directing like spike lee is a legend and he's given some great movies but like i actually felt that some of the editing for this film felt a little flat like there's moments when they're walking through the jungle and then they do like a fade to the exact same shot and then pull back to that shot again. And then like they did like two cuts to the exact same shot, but just they did it like closer in. 
like some of the some of the angles, some of the way they shot the film was actually very, uh, very dry, very kind of I don't want to say lazy, but it, it just kind of felt like they just didn't do anything with it. And uh, even with some of the the way that they did the choreography, like there was that one part where they they tie up the, the people that do the mine removal, so they tie them up, and then the very next the very next scene they're untied and just walking through the yeah. jungle with them. And <laughs> yeah. then in the very next scene, they're tied up again. It was yeah. like, it, and it wasn't like a necessarily a shot goof where it's like, Oh, in this shot you can see it was like, these were scenes. Like this was a full out moment of the story that just didn't really make sense. Why certain things were happening. Um, and even just some of the way that they framed the action, like the flashback to the battle, like the, the battle was yeah. just, it almost felt like a weird night. That battle felt like it got filmed in the nineties, the way they, they were well, just kind of spraying yeah. their guns and the explosions were a little over the top. Like it didn't really feel like they were trying to create a gritty scene to really earn that PTSD that, that the characters were showing. It almost felt like cheesy the way they talked about storm and Norman and all the scenes with him where like there's all this weird sunlight on him and stuff. And it, I know that they're trying to do like the, the idealized memories that these men have, but it was done in such a like way that yeah. kind of pulled you out of it for a moment and made you just be like, wait, what? Like, do they really shoot it like this? Is this really the lighting in this scene? Like, yeah. I, th- I, I think it was purposeful. Right. Yeah. It was, it was, it was done. Yeah. I think so too. I think it was done on purpose. They tried to make it. I th- I got the impression they tried to really make it feel seventies. You know, late mm-hmm. late sixties, early seventies, which is when the Vietnam War was. Um, I did think it was interesting that in the flashbacks they didn't have younger characters for um, <laughs> yeah. Five Bloods. They just used yeah. the old guys. That was kind of an interesting choice. I think to to my response, kind of Mike, to your take on that is, so we know Spike Lee is kind of an unconventional filmmaker. We know he you know he littered in real life clips from the Vietnam war from some of the civil rights leaders to really kind of hammer home the, the idea of mistreatment of, you know, of of the African-American community and specifically of soldiers who were, I mean, that's storm and Norman. That was, that's why they, that's why they hid the gold in the first place. They're like, you know, this is crap. We, you know, we're not even getting treated right by our own country. Um, but, but I think, but I think, um, I think he did fine with, with hammering home the themes that he wanted to, to, uh, hammer home. But I think my takeaway in terms of criticism was, I just think it was messy. It was messy. It felt a little overstuffed. It felt like there was a little too much going on at times. And then honestly, it did feel a little long. And, um, I don't think it was the cleanest movie. I don't think it was the editing was, or the directing was the cleanest um, but knowing Spike Lee and kind of his style, you know, he's always kind of, and what I've seen from him, he's always kind of struck me as I'm going to do it my way. And if it's not traditional or in the sense of, you know, stand, you know, Hollywood standard, it doesn't matter. And so I, what did you think, Chad? Did you think it was kind of messy and a little sloppy? I, that was kind of my main criticism. Yeah. I mean, the, the, some of the, the storytelling and how it unfolds and how they're cutting back and forth between the two, um, it, it does seem a little jarring, I'd say, at times. It doesn't always fit together perfectly. I mean, they shot the, the flashback things in 16 millimeter um, to sort of yeah. make it look grainy and sort of like a boots on the ground style 70s Vietnam movie. Um, but, I, but I agree that it, it wasn't like great shot making. Like Mike says, it, it does seem a little bit sloppy. Yeah. It seems a little B movie ish, and I think that's on per- 
purpose. I think this is a very self-aware movie. And by changing the aspect ratio, that's one day one way to do that. I mean, if you watch this movie, it walks the line between deadly serious at times, but at the same time, like I said, it sort of has this B-movie feel where it's almost a parody of itself. And, it, and it's always sort of walking that line. You know, you, I think that you have, you know, even the music, right, by Terrence Blanchard, which is Lee, Spike Lee's longtime collaborator. I think the music sort of represents the film as a whole, where in one way you can listen to it and it's like this big stirring score, a la The Patriot or Hacksaw Ridge or something like that. But at the same time, like I said, it almost feels like it's maybe not poking fun, but it's just drawing to the idea of the seriousness by making it look like these guys are in some heroic Michigan, Michigan, some heroic mission when really it's just a bunch of old guys squabbling over gold in the jungle, you know? So it's like, it's like, yes, he's drawing attention to the African-American struggle in Vietnam. Yes. He's drawing parallels to current events going on today. Um, but at the same time, I almost think this is like a, a very self-aware movie and maybe some of those awkward creative choices that you guys are talking about are made to draw attention to that. Well, yeah. And, and, and remember, uh, I, I mentioned, you know, they're talking about, you know, Rambo and how certain films were made at the time or shortly after the Vietnam War to kind of justify and show why America got involved in the war and how we won the war, right? I mean, so there was almost this, like Rambo is like this, you know, kind of this almost ridiculous overkill character. And Hollywood had, you know, at that time had taken the steps to try to present it as though it was something worth fighting. And I don't know, maybe that, that kind of overkill obnoxiousness carried over with some of the flashbacks here. Well, it's clearly an anti-war movie. I mean, Spike Lee oh, yeah. makes no qualms yeah. about, you know, his feelings yeah. on stuff like that. Um, it, it is ironic how, like, a lot of movies about Vietnam War are, like, condemning the Vietnam War. <laughs> so you're, you're act, I mean, Rambo's not like that. It glorifies it to a certain extent, like they say. But, but you know, I just think that Vietnam is such this crazy time. And so many people, even today, um, because you can see the parallels to 2020. But go ahead, Mike. Mm-hmm. I honestly think that, this actually would have been a little bit more clean if Spike hadn't directed it. If we'd had someone like Steve McQueen or Ryan Coogler, or, man, you know, even Donald Glover. Like, I think, I think part of it was Spike's own style, which got in his way a little bit here. Um, but I, I mean, I still think it was a really good movie. It just, the style of the directing kind of felt a little messy at times and kind of yeah. pulled me out of it. But yeah, props to the cast and props to the writing. Um, this was a really strong movie, and I hope people see it. So, so let me ask you guys: When Eddie steps on the landmine <laughs> and gets blown up, oh, uh, first of all, that was an incredible scene. Uh, just the yeah. whole, you know, with with his son David standing on the landmine and how they all had to work together, and uh, and, and there's a lot to say about father son relationships in this movie too. Um, but it was crazy. But at the same time, I wasn't really surprised when it happened because. It, they clearly foreshadowed it with the the lamb people, the French people, yeah. uh, you know, the French girl, and how you knew landmines were going to come into this at some point. And I don't know about you guys, but when I was watching the scene when they first found the gold and they're all running down the hill and they're all excited, I was just waiting for one of them to step on a landmine. I thought it was going to happen there. It ended up happening a little later. But uh, just talk about that. Evan, you, what, what was that scene like for you? I mean, the, the I thought that was an incredible scene with the landmines. Lots of uh, it was- 
Oh yeah, it was. It was. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I was watching with my wife, and she like jumped. You know, so I, I I get what you're saying. I think we were expecting that, but it definitely took the tone of the movie and ripped it into a different direction. Because um, we had tension throughout the first half of the film. Um, but the tension that we had throughout the first half was in a lot of the conversations and the dialogue in these guys fighting over whether they're Trump fans or not. These guys fighting over how much of the gold share the sun should get. There was a lot of arguments over and tension built over their own conversation and dialogue and the PTSD. And then at that moment, we really got thrown into this really thrilling um, kind of action um, you know, almost, you know, a recreation of the war of the war that they had fought in decades before. Um, so yeah, it really kind of pulled us. Um, but I think that, I think that the, the movie did a little bit of, it was a little jarring at times and kind of where it was trying to take us, what it was trying, you know, what kind of emotions it was trying to get out of its audience. And I think that, um, that was for me, that was part of kind of the sloppiness of it. Um, you know, it just felt like we were kind of being pulled in a lot of dif- different directions at times, or or we were going in a direction and we were veering in another direction quickly and often. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, there was some memorable scenes in this for me though when they're when they find out about Dr. King and the flashback and they're all so angry and they start oh, yeah. yelling, shooting their yeah. guns in the air, or when they when they find Storm and Norman's body and they all kind of say the prayer over him. Um, you know, there's some great scenes between David and and Delroy Lindo. Um, just, I mean, some strong stuff here. I mean, and it's a movie about non-sexual love between a group of black men. It's about brotherhood. It's about Paul having to learn to forgive himself for, for accidentally shooting Storm and Norman. I think this is a cathartic an important film for people. And clearly for the characters, this is sort of like a cathartic, like, you know, uh, walkabout, so to speak, to finish business mm-hmm. in Vietnam. Um, I think this is one of Spike Lee's better movies. I, I really, really, really enjoyed this movie. I agree it's a little bit jarring and sloppy at certain points. It doesn't flow together perfectly. Um, but I think there's a lot of great ideas going on here. Um, and, and I thoroughly enjoyed the performance, especially from Delroy Lindo. Uh, I gave it an 8.5 out of 10. Yeah, I ended up giving it a 7.5 out of 10. Um, I really liked it. I thought it was a really good movie. 7.5, um, you know, is, is, a, is a high mark for me. And, um, um, you know, I think it could have been a little bit clearer and crisper. And that perhaps some of, to Mike's point, some of the, some of the messaging, some of the themes, some of the emotion in it, this was packed with emotion. Don't get me wrong, but some of that maybe would have, uh, come through better if it was a little more clean. So that that's why I docked it. Mike. Um, uh, before I grade it, I just want to say I was really happy that we got to hear Isaiah Whitlock say she from his Clay Davis, the wire days. That was amazing. Uh, <laughs> while, while, we're, while we're quoting things, I just want to say I'm the motherfucker. I'm the motherfucker. <laughs> I just want <laughs> Del Orlando is just amazing in this. Give that guy the oh, fucking he, he, Oscar he, nominator. I will be pissed. Oh, he was incredible. He made he made the film. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I give it for the acting and the script and uh, uh, just the the powerful message behind it. I give it a B plus. 
All right, so there you go. B plus 7.5 and an 8.5 for me. So strong reviews uh, of the of the five bloods. Uh, Spike Lee's latest movie. Obviously, when you're, you know, we got a Black Lives Matter cameo in here. Spike Lee's movies are always about race and, uh, you know, race relations and social justice. So, um, you, you know what you're going to get with Spike Lee. This is definitely a Spike Lee joint, as they like to say. Um, but positive reviews for The Five Bloods is on Netflix now. Um, so that's going to be our show today on July 12th. Before we sign off, guys, I promised you uh, a movie. I promised you a movie uh, for winning our character draft. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so I put some thought to this, Mike. I, I did legitimately consider making you watch Cats. Um, but I'm, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Um, I am going to suggest the movie. I mentioned it on our, our last pod. I really want you guys to watch this movie, Sorry to Bother You, the Boots Riley movie. Uh, the comedy, black comedy drama film. Um, I put it in my top top films of 2018. I mentioned it on the pod last time. I just think this movie is super unique. As I keep calling it, Get Out 2.0. I think it's one that you'll both enjoy, and I think it's relevant to 2020 and what's happening. So that's your guys' homework assignment. I want you to check out the movie Sorry to Bother You. I don't think enough people have seen it, and it's really, really, really clever in what it's trying to say. Um, so... I don't know if we need to put a time frame on it, but I, I really think you guys need to check out this movie. Sorry to bother you. So there you go. Yeah, I'm spirit. Yeah, it's been on my uh, watch list ever since you recommended it, Chan. You advocated for this movie previously, and I actually looked like last week um, to see where it was available. I, I don't know if it's free anywhere, but um, you know, probably a couple bucks. If you want me to Venmo you three bucks so you can rent it on Amazon Prime, I will. <laughs> No, it's a recommendation. I will, I will make sure to watch it. I have really wanted to see that movie as well. Evan, right. you turned oh. into a, you turned into an evil robot again with your voice, but yeah, yeah. Evan, Evan sounds like he's sitting in a fish tank down in Florida again. So sorry about oh. the audio issues there, but we're ending anyways. So uh, thanks for listening today. Follow us on Facebook at the Second Day Film Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Second Day Film. Check all our old episodes on SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, and Spotify. Uh, that's our show today. Lots of good streaming stuff. Guys, nice work. Evan, hope you're uh, in scuba gear underneath the fish tank there. Uh, but uh, until next time, we thanks for listening, and we'll see you at the movies.